Our scripture for today is John 17, verses 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Good morning. If I haven't met you, I'm Rob Sweet. If you're new to fellowship, we have two primary teachers, myself and Lloyd Shadrach. We have two campuses here in Franklin, and we alternate between the two, but we're in the same series together. So we're one church in two locations, and if you're visiting with us, it's our little trick to get you to visit at least twice, so you get to experience um, the, the, you know, both worship services and various teaching. You know, we believe in team here at Fellowship. That's a really big deal to us. There's no one person that leads this church. Christmas Day of 2021, the James Webb Telescope was launched into space. It traveled about a million miles from Earth. There's a little space there where the gravitational pull of Earth and the gravitational pull of the sun neutralize each other so it can kind of remain there. And then it spent the next two or three months powering up its systems and getting ready to take pictures. And so from about, I don't know, halfway through 2022 until the present day, it's been taking images and and beaming the images, thousands of images, tens of thousands of images back to Earth. And so in 2023, it was the first full year that this telescope was operational, sending these images back to Earth. I want to show you three of the pictures from 2023. This first one you'll see on the screen. This is a, a, a type of star that, that is called wolf rayet star. And what that means is it's a very rare star. Uh, it's rare because its temperature is so hot. So it's 20 to 40 times the temperature of our sun. 20 to 40 times the temperature of our sun. It's a very brilliant star. It's uh, very rare. Only about one out of 50 million stars in our galaxy. One out of 50 million is this kind of star. It's magnificent, it's glorious, it's brilliant. It's 15,000 light years from Earth. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Remember, you know, one light year is how long it would take you. If you're traveling at the speed of light, how far you'd go in one year. The speed of light. This is 15,000 light years from Earth is this star. Let me show you another image. This is a star cluster of uh, around 700 stars. Uh, It's only 1,000 light years from Earth, which is basically in our backyard, (laughs) right? Now, those wispy waves that you see are created by dust that reflects the light of the stars, reflects the brilliance of the stars. And and I love that loop shape. When When I saw this one, I thought, that looks like the infinity symbol, you know? Now, you know, you look into it that the loop is likely caused by the solar winds, you know, gusting solar winds blowing from our perspective. It'd be blowing in a west to east and makes this brilliant, miraculous, amazing image for us to gaze at. One more I'll show you this morning. This is the Rho-Ophiuchi cloud complex. 
It's a mere 460 light years from Earth, and it is a place where new stars are being formed. That's amazing. I don't even know how new stars are formed. I have absolutely no idea, but, but this is fascinating. Like, this is beautiful. Like, here's what I thought about when I was looking at all these images in the last few days. All this has been out there. Like, all this has been out there for, for as long as human beings have had eyes to see, you know, gazing up into the night sky. We just hadn't been able to see these things. They were there. We just couldn't see them. Until we had the technology that could gaze into deep space like this, we didn't know what was out there. The chapter of the Bible that we've been studying and meditating on for these last four weeks, John chapter 17, is like a powerful telescope gazing into the deep things of God. Every one of the books of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, is God's revelation of himself. Of course that's true, but this particular chapter is unique in that it allows us to peer into the very core of God himself. And the reason for that is the whole chapter is a prayer of Jesus. I want you to think about that with me. This is God talking to God. God the Son, talking to God the Father. What kinds of conversation would God have within the Trinity? Now, we have other little pieces and snippets of Jesus' prayer. You know, Jesus prayed an awful lot, but, but almost all his prayer life was, was quiet, was, was between him and God, just little pieces that we have outside of this. But we get to this chapter, and I think it's no accident, it's at the very end of his life, in this chapter, he chose to let his disciples in on his conversation with the Father. It's like he, he pulled back the veil. He pulled back the curtain. He says, I, I want to reveal something. I want to show something to you. I'm going to pray extensively. I'm going to pour out my heart to God the Father, and I'm going to invite you in on it. And by extension, of course, he was letting us in on it, which I'm sure was, no, uh, it was not lost on him. I'm sure he was very conscious of that. So in doing this, like inviting the disciples and then us in to this conversation between him and his heavenly father, he, he's inviting us to peer through a very powerful telescope, you know, to, to catch glimpses of things no human being had ever seen before. This, this, you know, the revelation of God through the Old Testament and even to that point, the, the words of Jesus hadn't revealed the things that Jesus is revealing in this particular chapter. And so the prayer of Jesus offers us glimpses of the deep things of God. And today... We're going to pick up where Lloyd left off last week. We're going to examine the final three verses of this chapter. If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 17. You've already heard these three verses read. This is our text for this morning. Because they're the last three verses of this prayer, here's what this means. We're going to look through this telescope one more time together. And we're going to discover some things. There, there are two primary things that we're going to see this morning. And I'll just put them in these categories. There's two parts of the message. The first is Jesus' desire. We're going to see the heart of Jesus Christ, the desire of Jesus Christ is in our text this morning. And the second thing we're going to see is our future. Our future. Where all this is going. Like where we're going, where creation is going, where the universe is going, where all this is heading toward. Jesus' desire, our future. Two amazing things that we're going to see in our text this morning. Let's start with verse 24. I'll put it on the screen. I'm going to reread it, and then we'll talk about it. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The first question we have to answer is, who is the they that Jesus is referring to? Who, who's this they pointing to? Well, the, the reference, if you, if you go backward in the prayer, is a, a reference that goes back to verse 20. Prior to verse 20, Jesus was praying specifically for the 11 disciples that were physically with him, like literally hearing his voice. But in verse 20, the the subject of the prayer changes. And and I want to just reread verse 20. It won't be on the screen, but let me just reread it. And you can, you know, look in in your Bible as well. Jesus said in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, you know, that was talking about the 11 that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all believers in Jesus who will come after the original disciples. And and notice he doesn't put any time limit on it. You know, he's like for the next generation or for 10 generations. For all the believers who will ever come to know God through Jesus Christ, he's praying for us. He's praying for all of us, those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And I've always loved that about this prayer. Because what it means is we were on Jesus's mind. And and not, not, I'm sure not just in this moment. But this was a very important moment to be on Jesus's mind because he's about to close his prayer. And then right after he closes his prayer, he goes into the garden of Gethsemane where where he will wrestle through what he's about to go through on the cross. And and he'll say, Lord, not not my will, but your will be done. And, And he was willing to go for the cross. Who was on his mind as he made that decision? We were, all believers in Jesus were, we were on his mind as he entered into the Passion Weekend. When we realize he's talking about us, this text comes alive even more. I I don't know if there's any more relevant portion of the whole Bible than to hear Jesus Christ pray to God the Father about us. With that in mind, notice what the desire of Jesus is. It's stated very clearly. I desire that they may be with me where I am. This is the only time in the prayer where Jesus expressly uh, or directly expresses his desire. You know, there are other things he asks the Father for. He prays for different things. And, and we can sort of, you know, assume there's, there's a desire underneath that. But he doesn't actually say, this is my desire until now. Of all the things that Jesus could have desired in that moment, just think about that with me. You know, I desire that these next 20, 48 hours are going to go well. You know, I desire that, you know, I don't know, that, that this or that. Of all the things he could have desired, the one desire he named was that we would be with him where he is. Now, when he says, with me where I am, I think there are two ways that you could understand that, interpret that, and they're both right. They're both right. The first is, with me where I am physically. My desire, Jesus would say, is that all the followers of Jesus would be with me where I am physically. Now, the the reason that we have a lot of confidence that this is a a true, accurate way to interpret that is you go back just a a couple chapters, John 14, which is in the same conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples in the upper room. Here's what he told them. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself that where I am, you will be also. 
You see the connection to what Jesus' desire? So, so clearly there's a desire in Jesus that we would physically be with him in his Father's house, that we would find our true home where his true home is, and, and that we'd be physically together. That's clearly a desire of Jesus. But I think there's another way to understand this that's also true, and I want to make a case for that this morning, and that is I think he's also meaning my desire is that they be with me where I am relationally, relationally, that they be where Jesus is relationally. Now, where is Jesus relationally? This takes us back to the picture of God we talked about in the first week when we studied this prayer. I guess that would have been four weeks ago. We said, remember God's a trinity. One being eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And these persons... We learned at the beginning of the prayer that since before the world was created, these persons have been glorifying one another. These persons have been relating to one another in, in, in perfect adoration and in self-giving love. Each person of the Trinity adoring the others, you know, in, in a sense, lifting up the others, glorifying the others. Each person perfectly whole and content within that community that is God, that tri-person community that is God. And so this is what Jesus had on his mind in the, the first few verses of, of the prayer. In, in verse 5, he said, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And so the continual sharing of glory, I know this is hard for us to get wrap our minds around, but I want to try to explain this as so simply as I think I can. The continual sharing of glory between members of the Trinity is an expression of love between them. Because that's what you do when you love someone. When, when you, you love someone, you praise them. You can't help yourself. You serve them. You're just like, what do you need? You know, what can I do to make your life a little bit easier? Just name it and it's yours. I mean, this is what we do when we, we fall in love with someone. Uh, um, you lift them up. You know, you encourage them. It just comes natural for you when you, you love someone. In other words, when you love someone, you glorify them. And you find joy in, in doing so. So that's ultimately what glory is about. It's about this, this mutually shared adoration and love that, that is, is fully contained in the Trinity. And then the glory of God just sort of spills out beyond that. And we see glimpses of it in, in beautiful things in our creation, like the images we saw earlier. So now I want to make a connection, okay? Notice how Jesus comes back to the topic of glory right here in our verse, in verse 24. Let, let's, let's look at what he says. That they may, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Do you see the connection here between glory and love? Jesus wants us to see up close and personal, the full expression of love that is the essence of the Trinity. That's what he means when he says, I want them to see my glory. Now, you know, without that context, you hear that phrase, it's just like, was Jesus just want to show off to us? Like, is that why he says, I desire that they be with me to see my glory? No, 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 no. His glory is given him by the Father out of sheer love, pure, unadulterated love. And this glory is bouncing back and forth between the members of the Trinity. And Jesus is like, I want them to see that. I want to open their eyes. I want them to be with me where I am so they can see.
see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Imagine being able to see the blazing glory of the love of God radiating between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Imagine being able to see that. So here's how we might express the desire of Jesus from this verse. He wants us to be with him where he is. I think that's both physically and, and relationally. In order to see with our own eyes the full glory of God's love. Jesus' desire is for us to be with him where he is, to see with our own eyes the full glory of God's love. He wants us to see it. Now, I want to take it a layer deeper because what's really just, mm, I, I told my wife, like I was working on this message the other day and sometimes like you have these thoughts in your head and you're just like, I don't think there's any way that I'm gonna be able to get this down on the page in order to speak it out to the congregation. But I, I told my wife the other day, I was working on this message and I said, John 17 is blowing my mind. And she, she was basically like, okay, you know, whatever, like, have fun, you know. That was sort of like the impression that I got. And, and I thought about it, I was like, how many times have I read this chapter? And, you know, what always has stood out to me before about this chapter is the oneness of, of the body. And then I think about how, you know, that's not true of the modern church, how we're not united, we're not one in so many ways, and how that must break the, the heart of Christ. And I, I, I don't mean to take away anything from that, but I think that's not the biggest idea of the text. I don't think Jesus is talking about his heart being broken over unity. I, I think what he's actually saying is this unity that he desires for us will come to pass. It will be a beautiful unity, yes, with us together and with him. And, and what's been blowing my mind as I've studied this prayer is, is this idea that the plan of God the Father and God the Son is for us to become a part of the community of love that God exists in. Their plan is to bring us in. Bring us in. That's the whole idea. That's why Jesus came, that we might enter into union with the Trinity. And what does that mean? That we might know fullness of love, that we, we, we might experience it, you see. God's plan is for us to enter into union with the Trinity. Now, I have no idea what that actually looks like, and I want to dispel this idea from your head. It, it does not mean we become God. That's not at all what, what, what this means. Nor does it mean that we'll cease being individual persons. It's not just some like melding of like, oh, you know, the whole universe is one. I, that's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, think about the Trinity. They're, they're one, but they're also three. You see, they have their individual personalities. You know, we're going to have our individual personhoods in all of this. But I, I, although I don't know what it will really look like, here's what I do know. If Jesus' prayer is answered, and don't you know it will be, somehow we will be unified with each other and with God to such a degree that the perfect happiness and wholeness that defines God will be fully known by us the perfect happiness and fullness that defines God will be fully known and experienced by us. So here's another way we might express the desire of Jesus in this prayer. Jesus' desire is for us to be truly home with him. 
Jesus desires for us to be truly home with him. Now, where do I get that idea from? Well, there's references to home earlier in the text, et cetera, but, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever felt that sense in you, even just for a brief moment, that, that, that all is well? That you're, you're, you're there, you know, physically, relationally, you're just in a place that just fits, that just feels right. What would it look like for you to find that place permanently, to just be able to stay there and just sit there and feel fully content and satisfied and whole, to finally find space that fits you like a glove, to experience the satisfaction of your truest desires, you know, those, those far-off things you've always sensed deep down you were made for. What Jesus is saying in this prayer, you all, his deepest desire is for you and me to experience that, to get there, to actually exist, and, and not just for a moment, <laughs> but forever, for eternity, that we would exist in the community of love and joy and fullness that is in God himself, that is God himself, one with God, one with each other in this place with Christ. Now, that's a deep thing, right? That, that's, until Jesus said, hey, I've been with the Father since before the world began, that idea was not in the Hebrew thought, right? Do you understand? Like Jesus was, was introducing new things and revealing new things to his disciples. And, and I hope that you're able to go a little bit deeper in the way you think about God this morning as we gaze at these amazing things. Now, let, let, let's, let's get back to the telescope, all right, the first thing we've seen as, as we look through is, is Jesus' desire. The second thing we see is our future. And you've probably noticed we've already been talking about it. But let's go a little bit deeper. Verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Something I noticed in the last few weeks as Lord and I have been walking through this chapter with you is um, many of the themes of Jesus' prayer in chapter 17 show, out, show up all throughout John's gospel. Now think about it. Jesus wasn't taking all the themes from John's gospel and putting them in the prayer. John was taking the themes from Jesus' prayer and sprinkling them throughout his gospel, you see. So what, what does that tell us? That tells us John was listening very closely as Jesus prayed on this night. He meditated on Jesus' words. I have to imagine that after Jesus' resurrection and, and you know, Jesus and the disciples spent a number of days together, and we don't get a, a lot of insight into what that looked like, but we know that Jesus was connecting a lot of dots for them. I have to imagine that John and maybe the other disciples said, go back to that stuff you were talking about in that prayer. Well, will you tell us again what you were praying? You know, and John's over there, you know, writing down. Because, and, and then at some point in time, years later, see, John's able to, to take the themes of this prayer and put all the pieces together along with all the other things he heard Jesus taught, teach and all the other things he, heard, he saw Jesus do. And he writes this gospel. Now, one of the themes of the gospel of John from the very beginning, chapter one, is that Jesus came to make God known. He says in John chapter one, no one has ever seen God, 
But the one God, the word made flesh, has made him known. Now where's John getting that? He's getting it from the prayer of Jesus. He's getting it right here from verse 26. So when Jesus says in verse 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. This is what he's talking about. And by the way, he, when he says, I've, known, I've made known your name, it's not a specific name he's talking about. It's not like uh, there was some secret name of God that Jesus revealed. The, the idea in this uh, culture was if you know someone's name, you know the person. Because the names ha have the meaning. The names have the substance of the person in them. So to know someone's name is to know the person. By the way, you could understand the entire person of Jesus as the image of God, the very image of God, so that we might know God by knowing Jesus. The way Paul put it were those exact words. He is the image of the invisible God. So I like the way Eugene Peterson, when he was um, writing the message, which is a paraphrase of, of the Bible, when he got to verse 26 of John 17, this is how he, he wrote it. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known. I've made known your very being. That's who Jesus was. He, he, God in the flesh, making known the very being of the triune God in something visible. Now, what does knowing God through the person of Jesus, through the revelation of Jesus, what does knowing God have to do with our future? Because I said, you know, we're going to talk about our future. We're going to see our future. Well, it has everything to do with it. Let's go again back to the beginning of chapter 17. Uh, the first two sentences of the prayer. I'll just read it. You, you can listen. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what does knowing God have to do with our future? Well, it's the key to eternal life. Knowing God through the person of Jesus, like looking at Jesus in your mind's eye, you know, by reading the, the, the scripture and the text and believing that he is actually God in the flesh and that he came to reveal the Father. That's the key to eternal life, believing in Jesus. But it's not just the key to eternal life. Jesus is saying it's the substance of it. It's not just the, the key that lets you in the door to eternal life. Once you get through the door, you realize, oh, eternal life is knowing God. But not just intellectually knowing. That's not what Jesus meant. He wasn't talking about just our mind, our theology. Jesus is saying, is this a relational knowing? This, this, is, a, this is an intimacy. This is, this is a, a personal knowing. That in the Hebrew, the, the, the word know had the connotations of this deep intimacy that, that, that characterized the marriage union between a husband and a wife. It's, it's relational intimacy. So Jesus is saying, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if you're tracking with me on this, what, 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 what I want you to see is here we are back once again at the idea that our eternal future will be spent in intimacy with the Godhead. That, that we're brought into this sacred 
fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that we would know God relationally, intimately. Now, part of our temptation, I think, as human beings, when we think these thoughts, is it just feels so unphysical to us. It, it feels so intangible to us. So, you know, knowledge and intimacy and relational, like being one with God, you know, again, your mind space probably goes to just something kind of ethereal, and we'll just, oh, I guess we'll just be spiritual, and maybe we won't have bodies. No, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we're going to have bodies, just as the resurrected Christ as a body. And, and guess what? We're not going to be living in space somewhere, floating around. We're going to be on a recreated, renewed earth. <laughs> and on that new earth, according to Revelation, there's going to be rivers, and there's going to be trees, and there's going to be mountains. And I have to imagine there's going to be adventures, and there's going to be meals, and there's going to be oceans to swim in, and there's going to be all the beautiful, wonderful things of this earth, but just sanctified, glorified, like lifted up a level. Now, that's something to look forward to in our future. But what I don't want you to miss is the most important thing about our future is not the food we're going to eat or like the new things we're going to see or what, what, you know, what will the light look like if we could see the whole lights of the spectrum. I, I, it's none of that. So we're going to be united with God. We're going to be in C.S. Lewis at the end of The Weight of Glory, he basically says, we're going to be welcomed into the heart of things. That's our future. Now, there's one more layer we need to look at this morning. And that is at the end of our text, Jesus tells us the reason why he has been so invested in making God known. And think about that, that he came to the earth to make God known. And, and he, every breath he breathed was according to that purpose. And why was he so invested in that? He's going to tell us the reason. And by the way, this is where the desire of Jesus and our future come together. Jesus' desire, our future, come together in this phrase right here. That, or so that, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You all, we just went a layer deeper because we're no longer talking about just experiencing the love of God that is the Trinity. We're talking about that love invading us, permeating us, living in us. This is a level of, of, of union that, you and I know nothing of. It's, it's beyond our comprehension in a way. But I want you to think about it this way with me. Let's combine the desire of Jesus in our future, okay? Jesus' desire is for us to be where he is, to see his glory, so that that same glory, which is the love of God, would permeate not just him but us. Jesus' desire is to share his glory with us. He wants to bring us into the fullness of love so, so that it just completely lives inside of us. This love that's defined his relationship with the Father and the Spirit since before time began. There's a very similar thought in verse 23 that Lloyd covered last week, and he did such a beautiful job. Here's what Lloyd said about this love. The love of the Father for the Son is without limit, without condition, and without end. 
And our future, you all, is that love not just being experienced by us in part, but actually in, in, in just being all up inside of us. This is a weird expression, but have you ever loved someone so much that you just want to eat them up? Like, you know that expression, like my little girls from there, I just want to eat, I just want to eat you up. It's like terrible if you think about it, but... I think what that's speaking to is when we experience something that just deeply resonates with us, we, we want to just, we want us to be inside of us, you see. Jesus is saying, the greatest thing in the universe, which is the love of God contained in this triune unity, this, this personal God, Father, Son, Spirit, will be in us. We'll get to eat it up. So Jesus' desire and our future turn out to be one and the same, don't they? And that's for us to, to, to taste, to experience, to, to, to consume the fullness of God's love. And that thing, you all, that thing that's being offered to us, promised to us even, in this chapter, is, is more valuable than anything else you could possibly imagine. I just believe that with all that I am. If, if you really think about it, this is, this is the most valuable thing in the universe and, and because what else could possibly compete with it? Now, you might say something like, well, I, I wouldn't mind having unlimited money. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having an incredible marriage. I wouldn't mind having uh, the, the career I've always dreamed of or, or the right amount of fame or, you know, you know, whatever would be like, oh, that would be awesome for me to have this. Do you see that all those things that, that I just named are just tiny little pieces of, of this? No, what, what do you mean? They're tiny little pieces of, of joy, tiny little pieces of, of satisfaction, tiny little pieces of peace, tiny little pieces of happiness. We're just tasting tiny little pieces, you see, uh, on this earth, even in the best things that we can imagine here. And what I want you to see this morning, again, and get, just trying to get into a little bit of an application for us. I want you to see that if you could actually grasp what Jesus is describing here. In other words, if you could receive it, you know, if you could just, just hold on to it, if you could put your hope in it. It would so fill you with joy, peace, and happiness that you'd say, there's nothing else I need because I'm fully known and I'm fully loved and I'm fully satisfied. And that's something you don't have to wait to experience, although that's where we will experience it in full. That's, that's something you can taste a bit of now. So when, when a Christian says, I, I have peace in my heart, I have joy in my heart. Now, sometimes we, we're just pretending. Let's be real. But, but when a Christian really says that, a Christian that's walking in the spirit and they're just saying, yeah, my life may be hard right now, but there's this peace that passes understanding. What are they describing? They're saying, I am tasting a bit of my future. And it's so good, even in small, it's so satisfying I don't have to go chase love anywhere else. I don't have to go look at a bunch of images. I don't have to go feel like I've got to go fuel some, you know, false career or persona online to make myself feel better about myself. I don't have to eat my kids alive. I don't have to eat my spouse alive. I, 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 there's nothing else that I need. As followers of Jesus, we have these little moments you know, our, our best moments are, are like appetizers for the full meal that will come. 
this past Thursday, our daughter who's off at college, she, she, uh, she texted us and she said, can I find a time to FaceTime you all? I want to tell you something. You know, and as a parent, you all are like, ooh, what is this going to be? You know? <laughs> you know, it's like she wants us both there. It's just like, oh gosh, is she engaged? You know, like what? <laughs> And so we're like, okay, okay. So we, we set up the, the FaceTime on Thursday night and, you know, we got through the house things and the, the chit chat. And then she got to the, the main thing. She said, I want to tell you about my experience at a worship service last night. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah. <laughs> but, but here's what you have to know without, without going into a lot of detail. That, that this is a young lady who's gone through some really, really hard times in the last six or eight months. And she said, there was a time in the worship where I just wanted to just go up front. And, and she said, I went up front and I was just singing. And then I started praying and I was just saying some things to God that I haven't said in a long time. And I was getting right with God. And then she said, and then I felt someone's hand on my shoulder. And she turned around and there was a friend of hers. And, and the friend started praying for her and with her and they were praying together. And then before they knew there was another friend and then two or three other friends. And she said, at one point in time, I opened my eyes and there were eight of my friends and they were all surrounding me and they were all praying for me and they were praying with me. And she said, this is the friend group that's been relationally broken in the last three weeks. And God healed those relationships in that moment where we were worshiping and we were praying together. And then she said these words, these were her exact words. Mommy and daddy, I had a perfect moment. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? I had a perfect moment. Now, what was going on inside of her that made her think, this is a perfect moment? She was experiencing relational oneness with God and she was experiencing relational oneness with her fellow believers. She wasn't thinking about John 17, but the prayer of the, father, prayer of the son to the father was being answered. It was giving my daughter just a little bit of a taste, you see, a taste of her future. And, and she said it was a perfect moment. This relational wholeness, this unity. And y'all, I, I just, I don't have the words to express how good Jesus is to give us little tastes for the promise of what is to come. On this earth, those perfect moments every now and then are, 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 are just little glimpses, but in the eternal kingdom, this will be our everlasting reality because the father will answer the prayer of the son. I wanna invite you to the table, pull out the elements of communion that you have. If you missed it when you came in and, and you're a follower of Christ, feel free to, to go get one. It's just right through those doors and, and I'll give you a few minutes because I want to make a connection to the table this morning. We call this the table, the Lord's table, the, the Lord's supper. We also call it communion. And I want to concentrate on that word with you just for a minute or two, communion. It's the common union. This is what we have in common. We have it in common with all those around the room. So for the, this is for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to belong to this church. You don't have to be a tender of this church. If you put your trust in Christ, you have this in common with us this morning. And I hope that you'll 
participate in this with us. Uh, I'm guessing there's no one in this room that knows even close to everybody in this room. And yet we have a union together, don't we? We have a oneness together. We're, we're going to be doing the same thing at the same time, thinking the same thoughts, thinking about Jesus Christ. It also puts us in unity with all believers all around the world who throughout this weekend are also going to be celebrating communion and thinking the same thoughts, thinking about the same person, in gratitude to Christ. It also puts us in union with all believers of all time for 2,000 years. This practice has unified the church. It's been unbroken since the very first night all the way to our present. This has marked the church. More importantly, it puts us in union with Christ himself who started this. He broke the bread and said, this is my body. He held up the cup and said, this is my blood. And there is a unity with God that we experience as we follow his commandments, as we live out this faith that he has called us to. And it is found in this. We're connected to one another and to God as we celebrate communion. So with that in our minds and hearts, let's take the bread and receive it in the name of Jesus. And let us also receive the cup with gratitude for Christ. Our Father, thank you for giving us this chapter. Thank you for these words of your son spoken out loud to you 2,000 years ago that were written down, that were recorded so they could be re-spoken to us in our day. Thank you through this text, through this prayer of giving us little glimpses of things that our physical eyes cannot see things beyond our comprehension even. We just see in part and one day we'll see in whole. So Father, I pray that these glimpses that we have had of the deep things of God, that they might change us. That from the inside out, we would think differently. That, that we'd be a little less anxious as we contemplate your plan for us. That we'd be a little more humble as we recognize the sacrifice that it took and the love of Christ to bring us into this union. That we'd be a little more obedient because our desire would be to, to, to please you because we want to glorify you. We want to love you because you've loved us first. That these glimpses we have had would change us, would transform us, would conform us more and more into the image of your son. May that be so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.